You Can Forget Your Name, an Avatar The Last Airbender fic, written by When Your Favorite Dies, read by Dr. Fumbles McStupid, rating Teen Enough Audiences, with the relationship Sokka-Zuko, additional tags, alternate universe modern setting, alternate universe no bending, trans Zuko, non-binary Sokka, trans Yue, trans Mai, trans Sokka, minor Suki Yue, minor Mai Tai Li, past Mai Zuko, past Jet Zuko, point of view Zuko, Sokka has a cane, hijab Yue, high school rivals, school reunion, co-parenting as friends, bisexual Zuko, bisexual Sokka, trans character, trans male character, trans female character, trans author, internalized transphobia, misgendering, smoking, coming out, implied reference child abuse, enemies to friends, enemies to friends to lovers, kind of, Zuka Chaos Bingo 2021, title from an Against Me song. Content warnings can be found at 30 minutes and 14 seconds. Zuko stands outside the entrance of his old high school, the large building simultaneously much bigger and yet smaller than he remembered. Adults push past him, someone knocking his shoulder and sending him stumbling a couple of steps before he writes himself. A careless apology is thrown back at him, and he embraces the calm anonymity while it lasts. Three slow, meditative breaths later, Zuko is following the group into the building. Most of them are strangers, but when they turn and see his face, the surprise and recognition in their eyes has him hanging back. It takes all his strength not to untie his topknot and hide his scar behind a curtain of hair. His approach to the entrance table is slow, and one of the teenagers on duty doesn't even attempt to smile as they push a marker and sheet of stickers in his direction. Luckily, Zuko is standing near the K surname sign-in sheet, and he scans it wearily. His stomach sinks as the familiar letters stare at him from the page mockingly. At least his surname is correct, only because he and Mai chose to keep their names when they married and give Azumi a double barrel. The plastic marker digs into his fingers as he crosses out his dead name aggressively, squashing Zuko and thick black lines into the margin. He glances nervously at the teenagers in charge of the stall, but none of them pay him any attention. He releases his grip on the pen slightly, eyeing the page of large white rectangular stickers, half of them already taken. A smart idea, especially as Zuko isn't sure he remembers even half the people he spoke to as a teen although that might be related to the repression. Just write your name, dude. Zuko startles, eyes turning to the teenager who just sits and stares at him, obviously bored. Who hired these kids anyway? Clearly they know nothing about customer service. More carefully this time, he writes, he writes Zuko Kedoso. His hand shakes as he pauses, staring at the thick black lines. Before he can panic further, he quickly adds he-slash-him underneath and throws the pen on the table. It takes several attempts to peel the sticker from the sheet, but finally it's on his shirt and declaring to the world his name and pronouns. Oh, spirits, he's already full of regret. He stumbles down the corridor blindly, caught up in the flow of bodies moving towards the sports hall where the gathering is held. 
People have already recognized his scar. What if they ignore his name change? Or don't even look at the pronouns? He keeps going until they're passing an accessible toilet, where he quickly breaks away from the group and slams the door behind him. The fluorescent lights are sharp and loud, the floor slightly sticky as he sits, head resting back against the cool tile wall. Zuko works through his breathing techniques as he scrambles blindly through his pockets, eyes closed against the piercing light. He emerges victorious with the plushie Izumi gave him that evening just before he left. She wanted her favorite toy to go on an adventure and look after her papa. It's a small duck, with a turtle shell stitched on its back, and it fits easily in his palm. Mai had taken up sewing for a while as a teenager when she was testing out different girl hobbies as rebellion against her parents, before realizing that she was actually just drawn to the girl part and the hobbies weren't a requirement for gender. She'd given it to Zuko when they started dating, so it naturally had been stolen by Izumi as soon as she was big enough to grab it. The felt is soft beneath his fingers, and he forces his eyes open to count what he can see and ground himself in the moment. For a toilet that calls itself accessible, the lights are doing their best to give him a migraine and tip him over the edge back into panic. The weight won't dislodge from where it sits heavily in his chest, but he does what he can for now. He waits until his breathing is steady before standing, brushing any dust off himself and heading back into the hall. Luckily, it's less crowded than before, and big posters that yell, Reunion tonight! This way! make sure he can't get lost. The hall is actually two massive sports halls, the dividing wall apparently able to lift into the rafters. And the space holds way more people than Zuko remembers being in his year. Several tables are littered around the edges of the space, and a long table manned by more teenagers. Zuko's only just realizing they're probably some of the older students, offering various snacks and drinks. Zuko keeps close to the wall, trying to lose himself in shadows and weights. Mai's voice haunts the edge of his consciousness, the promises he'd made lurking in his mind, to offer no strings attached apologies to his formal rivals. How can you expect Izumi to play nice and use manners if you can't even own up to being a teenage asshole? Mai always knows how to get through to him, even if it's usually guilt-tripping him about being a good parent. It's not the nicest method, but it seems to be the most effective one. Zuko steals himself, breathing deep and heading over to the small group containing his first target. Suki looks completely different, and yet exactly the same. She's taller, only slightly, but enough to bring her to eye level. Her arms, though. He has to force his gaze to her eyes because she's so buff, strong muscles flexing under dark tattoos and threatening to break the masculine top she wears. He can only describe her as butch, and it really suits her. Hey. He stops, clears his throat, and panics. She turns, and he sees the moment her eyes land on his scar, her face changing with recognition followed by confusion. He's changed, too, his hair now long enough that he's tied up the top part, the rest reaching his mid-back. Three years on testosterone has changed his face, but he still can't grow a beard and Mai had to hold him in the bathroom when he'd had a panic attack this afternoon, when he couldn't get into his binder on the first attempt. He knows he passes in public, gets suspicious looks from half the mothers when it's his turn to collect Izumi from school, but watching Suki recognize him has acidic bile rising in his throat while his stomach drops away. 
Her gaze flicks quickly, almost imperceptibly, to the name tag on his shirt, and he almost sags with relief when she tries... Zuko? Zuko. He corrects her pronunciation quietly and offers her a small wry smile. I... er... I wanted to apologize for everything. I'm not proud of who I was when we knew each other, and I've changed. In more ways than one, and I... He cuts himself off as his face burns, clenching his shaking hands at his sides. People are looking. The small group she's with is staring at him, and he's too overwhelmed to recognize them. He forces a deep, steadying breath, focusing on just Suki, her hazel eyes and open expression. The fact she hasn't punched him in the face, or even turned away in disgust, is hopeful enough that he forces himself to finish the apology he practiced. I'm not asking your forgiveness, but I am deeply sorry for everything I did, and I've been to therapy and... Yeah, I'm sorry. He's done it. Apology over. Time to run away and hide in a dark corner of the hall, maybe an empty bathroom stall, and wait until it's a reasonable time to go home and escape this awful event. Thank you, Zuko, Suki says, a small smile on her face. And I'm sorry, too, for getting you suspended that one time. She turns slightly. Zuko recognizes her hesitation and turns to go. She grabs his arm and he startles. Just. She drops his arm and beckons him over to her little group. He looks over in time to watch the guy he's pretty sure was Sokka turn and walk away. His shoulders tense, and it takes all his concentration to smile back at Suki. This is fine. He remembers how bitterly he and Sokka had hated each other. The school hadn't helped pitting them against one another as they fought to be top of the class. If Zuko had been allowed on the guy's sports team, he knows they'd have probably physically fought each other. Teenage Zuko had taken to hitting walls, kicking over tables, and fighting in every martial art he could qualify for instead. The fact that Suki is even talking to him now is a small miracle. With Sokka gone, there remains only a tall woman, her skin a rich brown, wearing a beautiful white headscarf. He has absolutely no idea who she is, and her name tag, Yue, she, her, doesn't help. He racks his brain, because surely a woman so beautiful would have made an impact on his teenage self, but his only solution is that she had one hell of a glow-up after leaving high school. It happened to both himself and Mai, after all. It only makes sense there would be others. It's nice to meet you, Zuko. She offers him a hand, which he tentatively takes in a water-tribe greeting, praying that this small assumption is at least correct. She is smiling gently, as she says, I'm presuming you don't remember me? His panic must show on his face as she laughs, though not unkindly. He glances to Suki for help, but she's smirking, strong arms wrapped around one of Yue's and leaning into her space. I was ill for most of high school, though I'm in remission now, thankfully she says, reaching up, almost unconsciously to adjust her headscarf, where it sits against her cheek. You might remember me with alopecia, though my name was different back then, too, same as yours. She's grinning now, a twinkle in her eye, and Zuko understands. He can't keep the smile off his face, because yes, he does remember her, but not really, not in any way that matters. He nods, thanks her for the reintroduction, and wishes her the best. Teenage Zuko did not understand many things. This included, but wasn't limited to, how to talk to his peers without yelling, 
how to experience an emotion without turning it into anger, what to do with said anger, why his body was betraying him, how to process his childhood, and how to make friends. For most of these confusions, he has gotten answers. He speaks to Mai and Tai Li in normal volumes, because he refuses to shout in front of Izumi. When he experiences an emotion, he uses the techniques offered to him by his therapist, and refuses to ever give Izumi a reason to fear him. Realizing he was a guy, accepting himself, marrying Mai, and moving far, far away from Ozai, he has the space to explore his gender and presentation at his own pace, even if Izumi often takes priority. The last two, however, were still causing him some difficulties. He realized, after getting a little bit of free therapy just before Izumi was born, and gaining a handful of coping mechanisms, that processing what happened in his past would take a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of struggling through remembering, and that time could have been spent looking after his daughter. When Izumi started school, and Tylee had solidified herself in their life and Mai's bed, Zuko had spent all his top surgery savings, money stolen from Ozai, on therapy. The money he'd taken for Izumi stayed in her private savings account, untouched and collecting interest. Despite his best attempts, therapy was not a quick fix. But any progress was good progress, and if it meant he could tuck his daughter into bed at night, reassured in the knowledge that she was safe and loved and happy, then he was willing to put in the work to keep it that way. Being back in high school, even if only for a short visit, is bringing back memories. Zuko hadn't even realized he'd repressed. Standing in one of the corners, drink in hand, he watches his former classmates, mostly strangers, as they mingle without him. He notices Jet, who he'd dated for almost a year at age 16. He'd been so many of Zuko's firsts, some better than others, and Zuko finds himself overwhelmed with the memory of their first kiss and first fight in equal measures. They'd met under the smoker's tree behind the bins and spent most mornings and breaks there, smoking together and making out. That was also where Jet had found out about Zuko's past, who his dad was and the destruction his oil company had caused to both Jet personally and the world. It had been both their first and last fight, Zuko returning to the Fire Nation only days later, the memory of their anger a bitter taste under his tongue. Yue and Suki moved together, always connected, always beautiful. They're so obviously in love. Zuko feels both happy for them and a pang of jealousy. Having the apology to Suki out of the way does genuinely leave him feeling better, though. So he counts it as a win. A loud cheer from the jocks surprises him, and he turns in time to watch them loudly crowd around some poor soul, yells of excitement as they welcome home one of their kind. It takes Zuko a moment to understand that the twist in his stomach isn't anxiety, but envy. Sure, he'd been into martial arts, which had fueled his main rivalry with Suki, but he'd longed so badly to join the soccer team, or maybe rugby or hockey, something loud and fast and communal, a team game where everyone looked out for each other, to be accepted by the other men and welcomed as one of their own. He'd been so lost as a closeted trans teenager, moving to a different country at 13 and not processing the extent of his childhood abuse. He'd been confused about where he fit and lashed out at anyone who got too close. Any community he could have had, he'd driven away. How he wished he'd had the language back then to express his longing. 
The crowd parts to reveal their victim as the same guy from earlier, Sokka. He leans heavily on his cane, and Zuko remembers he had been team captain on at least two of the sports teams. From so far away, it's impossible to make out any facial expression, though from the sound of it, they're having a good time over there. He finds Izumi's turtle duck in his pocket, forcing down the ache in his chest as he reminds himself not to get caught up in the past. He'd promised Mai he'd apologize to people this evening, and Sokka was definitely on that list. His sporting prowess, his easy skill at academics, his popularity. Zuko had longed to be him and date him in equal measures. They'd been academic rivals for most of Zuko's three years in this place, though he remembers how Sokka had especially hated him that last year, and Zuko had hated him in return. In hindsight, high school rivalries had been so pointless. Who cares now who got full marks when they were 14? He never even finished high school and doesn't have any official qualifications to his name. All those years fighting for the top place and he didn't even get a fancy letter grade to show for it. He doesn't blame Mai or Azumi for his decision to drop out. He was happy at not quite 18 to use the baby as an excuse to be marrying Mai. After that, Legally, nobody could stop them from moving back across the world to escape both their families and be themselves. Finally. Mai had finished her education at a different bossing say high school, and had kept going, now working on her PhD in mathematics. The swarming and celebration of Sokka finally calms down, and Zuko watches from across the hall as the jocks part to let their captain leave and head outside. Now is his chance. Zuko pushes away from the wall and heads for the fire door. Nobody pays him any mind. He's more than used to the quick glances just from existing in public, and he does his best to ignore them. He drops his cup onto a table in passing. The night air is refreshing, a cool cloak of calm enveloping him as the busy reunion fades to a gentle blur behind him. He inhales deeply, the air cold and stagnant rather than warm and sweaty. Fields disappear into dark in front of him, and he's drawn forward the few steps to the chain-link fence, the endless night calling to him. Oh, shit. Zuko turns in time to watch Sokka turn away where he's leaning against the wall, hands pressing urgently to his face and wiping his cheeks, a cigarette dangling dangerously between his fingers. The smell of ash and tobacco drifts gently on the slow breeze and draws Zuko instinctively towards Sokka, an old addiction awoken in his veins. Mai's voice, ever-present, ever-grounding, shakes him to his senses as he leans casually against the wall, enough space between the two of them that Zuko can pretend he's alone, if not for the soft sniffing Sokka's trying to hide. I came out here to apologize. Zuko's voice is quiet, gruff with nerves, as he pointedly looks everywhere but at the man beside him. The turtle duck in his pocket helps him stay focused. The ground is suddenly fascinating, gray concrete speckled with decades of squash scum and scuff marks. Sokka is frozen beside him, and in his periphery, Zuko watches him adjust his stance before leaning his cane carefully against the wall. That's cool, but I don't remember you? He asks it like a question, and it's such a surprise, completely the opposite of everything he'd prepared himself for, that Zuko turns fully to face Sokka head-on, unable to keep the surprise from his face. Sokka startles, and Zuko watches the exact moment his eyes widen in recognition, gaze steady on his scar. Oh. Sokka breathes, low and quiet, 
before throwing his head back and laughing, loud and startled and slightly hysterical. Zuko blinks in surprise, the pit in his stomach dissipating as a cold confusion washes over him. Sokka looks back over to him, squints through the dust to read the name tag, before nodding mostly to himself and leaning back against the wall. He takes a long drag of his cigarette, allowing the tension to sit heavily between them for a long moment before he digs the box out of his pocket and offers it to Zuko. This had to be a trap. Every nerve in Zuko's body screams to run, to hide, to get as far away as possible. This is the guy who hated him, argued with him, cheered for Suki to break the rules and beat him when they competed. They had the most intense academic rivalry the school had ever encouraged, and Zuko knew he had been one misplaced fist of anger away from physically fighting Sokka and getting them both suspended. Zuko takes a cigarette. I wanted to appall. I use they-them pronouns. Zuko pauses for a moment, gathering his thoughts at the interruption and waiting in case they want to say more. Sokka refuses to make eye contact, fiddling nervously with a lighter, before clicking on the flame and leaning over, gently and slowly, and lighting Zuko's cigarette. I'm still called Sokka, they say quietly, leaning back against the wall and absentmindedly flicking the lighter lid open and closed. Soft clicks and pops, an uneven rhythm in the still night. But, yeah, I'm non-binary, so... They them, please. Zuko nods, unsure what else to say other than... Zuko, he him. I'm, well, I guess binary? I'm a trans guy. He nods, confident in his gender, if nothing else. Sokka offers him a small smile, and they sit in silence for a long moment. The cigarette tastes familiar, in the way of an old coat that's slightly too small, or a bus ride to a house you've not lived in for years. The tobacco tastes like jet, the ash tastes like teen angst, and the burn in his lungs feels like fighting to control a stolen childhood. For a third time, Zuko attempts to speak. I wanted to apologize. He pauses, waiting for an interruption that never comes. I was very angry as a teenager and shouldn't have taken it out on you the way I did. I'm not here to make excuses or ask for forgiveness. I just need to do what I can. I. He glances up, and Sokka is looking steadily into the night. They turn at his paws, nodding slightly before clearing their throat. High school was shit for everyone, huh? Zuko snorts a laugh, relaxing slightly as he flicks ash onto the floor. It's no excuse for how I treated people. I was a horrible person to be around, and with how intense our stupid academic rivalry was... I think you dealt with some of the worst of it. I understand if you still hate me, though. Hate you? Sokka laughs, but it's a hollow sound. I don't hate you. I was jealous. Envious. Whatever. They turn away, taking a long drag of their cigarette and staring into the dark night. Zuko is shocked, stumbling slightly over his words. Why, how could you be jealous of me? Sokka offers him that brilliant white smile but it's marred by tear-stained cheeks and a bitter twist to their lips. You were dating Jet, they say, turning away again, flicking ash off the end of their cigarette. I was so consumed by macho sports culture, was trying so hard to be someone I wasn't, to be the straight bro, a proper man. I was so angry. They slump against the wall, head turned to search for stars that stay just out of sight, cloaked by light pollution. Angry at myself for liking a guy. Masculinity was so uncomfortable, but it was the only code I had. 
coming back here, being reminded of who I was. Here they trail off, as though searching the night for answers, lifting the cigarette to their lips only to find it's burned out. Shaking their head, Sokka turns back to Zuko. Sorry, you didn't come out here to listen to me complain. He opens his mouth to speak, to dismiss Sokka's apology, reassure them that he doesn't mind, that he understands in a strange and convoluted way. Zuko's phone interrupts him, ringing loud and piercing in the still night air. He quickly grabs it out of his pocket and sees a video call from Mai. He turns to Sokka, who waves a hand in a go-ahead gesture. Taking a couple of steps, halfway between Sokka and the door to the party, he answers the phone. A very close image of his daughter's face fills the screen, and he smiles easily at the excited yell of, Papa! In his periphery, he sees Sokka moving, but he needs to focus on Izumi. Hey, little one, are you being good for your mamas? Izumi is already nodding, her pigtails bouncing with the motion. Mama helped me read lots and lots of stories, and Mammy helped me with my hair and painted my nails and... Izumi keeps talking about her evening. Zuko has barely been gone for an hour, but it seems like Izumi has fit days worth of fun into that time. Mai is Mama and Tylee is Mammy, and Zuko couldn't ask for better friends to co-parent with. It can be hard sometimes, living with a loving couple and remembering his own singleness, but he wouldn't trade Izumi for anyone. When Izumi finally crawls into bed and bids him good night, Maya's on the camera, smile dropping as she steps into the hall. You good? she asks him. What she means is, did you apologize like you promised? Are you safe? Do I need to come and get you? Zuko cannot stop his smile. Yeah, better than expected. I actually... He turns to the side where Sokka is studiously looking away and lighting another cigarette. It turns out it's not just me. Mai hums, which means she's happy for him. He bids her good night, and just before the call ends, she says, Be careful. Which for Mai means, I love you. You're my best friend and I worry. Turning back to Sokka is easier than expected. The conversation with his excitable daughter, reminding him of how far he's come. Sokka exhales at the sky, smoke tendrils curling into the night, amplified by the first cold bite of autumn. Zuko's own breath barely forms in front of him wisps of condensation fighting in the air for a few seconds, before quickly dispersing. He adds a little firepower, taking a quick drag of his forgotten cigarette as he bumps shoulders with Sokka in greeting, their smoky exhales mingling together in front of them, entwined and indistinguishable. The silence rests between them for a long moment. The tension Zuko's shoulders had held for most of the evening has moved on to Sokka and has them standing stiffer than before. Eventually, it's Sokka who breaks first. So, you, er, you have a kid? Zuko's stomach drops. Sokka must notice his change of expression as they quickly speak again. Not that that's, I mean, if you wanted, and you didn't mind. They break off, face flushed red, even in the falling light. Zuko decides to take pity on them. It was just after I returned to the Fire Nation. She wasn't planned, but, well, me and her mother figured if we used her as an excuse to marry... Our lives would be our own. We could be ourselves for the first time, and it turns out I really like being a dad. He laughs softly, memories both good and bad mingled into nostalgia brought on by the gift that is his daughter. Sokka nods, towing at the concrete. Zuko puts out his cigarette on the wall. It isn't a habit he wants to return to. They stand in silence for another beat, before Zuko speaks again. Mai's a lesbian. My wife, Mai. 
she and her girlfriend. Azumi gets two lesbian mamas. He stops, embarrassed at stumbling over his words, but Sokka just smiles softly. What about you? they ask. Zuko grins. I'm not a lesbian. Sokka laughs, loud and startled and genuine, and the weight deep in Zuko's chest is suddenly warm. He clarifies, I'm bisexual. Sokka's smile settles into something open as they nod and say, Me too. The air between them is heavy, with a different kind of tension. It doesn't unsettle Zuko, nor does it sit heavy like before. He feels almost optimistic, a strange lightness in his limbs. It's a feeling he wouldn't mind getting used to. They stand for a little while, basking in the silence and simply enjoying the company. Zuko could never have predicted such an outcome from his high school rivalry, and yet it feels strangely fitting. So much has changed, both within and between them, that getting to know this Sokka feels like a fresh start, a chance to try again. Sokka finishes their cigarette, before pulling off the wall and balancing, cane in hand, as they pointedly look everywhere but at Zuko. Their cough is nervous as they pause, and Zuko feels a twinge of hope in his guts. Can I... And you can say no, but I was thinking maybe we could, on another day, do an activity together? Their voice goes up nervously at the end, as though they're questioning their own question, and Zuko just stares at them blankly. Sokka sighs, heavy and slightly dramatic, chewing their lower lip. Zuko smiles what he hopes looks encouraging, but it's probably more of a grimace. Could I maybe get your number, and we could try this again sometime? Work past our weird teen angst. The hope in Zuko's gut sets alight, and he fails to fight the grin sneaking onto his face. Yeah, Zuko nods, handing over his phone and trying his hardest not to study Sokka's face in the bright electric glow. They offer him a wry smile as they hand his phone back, before turning and walking back into the fray. Zuko allows himself a moment to pause, to enjoy the quiet of night while he can. It's not what Mai meant when she said to fix his high school rivalries, but it's definitely something she can be proud of for him. Content warning slash trigger warning. Early in the fic, Zuko experiences the start of a panic attack symptom, which he works through quickly. Mai and Zuko are both trans and Izumi's bio parents, so while discussion of trans-specific pregnancy are not sadly explicit, it is heavily implied. Where I live, the age of consent is 16, if you're both 16 slash 17, so an implying Izumi was conceived and born when both Mai and Zuko were 17 is not underage by my understanding. For the first half of the story and Zuko's thoughts, he mistakenly thinks remembers Sokka as a cis guy with he pronouns, but once he is told differently, Zuko immediately changes his thought process to gender Sokka correctly. Sokka is also misgendered off-screen by unnamed, non-Atla characters. Zuko's point of view, so only witnessed from afar, and the discussion afterwards. Lots of anxieties surrounding fear of being deadnamed slash misgendered, though no dead names are used. Other than Sokka initially, trans characters are not misgendered, and Atla characters do not misgender each other. You just need to find some place to get away. You can't forget your name. And there's no need to apologize. Apologize. 